Welcome to The Human Beat. I'm Roger Rocca. Today, we're talking with Barinas Jones-Santano about an opera company in Astoria. Welcome, Barinas. Thank you, Roger. Before we get into the opera company, which I think is pretty exciting, <laughs> for people who don't know you, uh, tell me a little about yourself and, and how you came to be in Astoria and what your background is a little bit. Sure, sure. Um, my uh, hometown is Grand Rapids, Michigan, and I came out to Oregon uh, in 2008 to study at the University of Oregon, um, having been introduced to this fine state by way of a guy named Mark Budair and another guy named Frank Graffeo, who I was auditioning for on the East Coast in uh, New York uh, auditioning, and I had a weekend of auditions, and the last one was for Eugene Opera. And I um, wasn't quite sure at the time where Eugene even was. I just knew that there was an audition in New York, in Manhattan, um, and I was going to that audition. So I was there doing auditions, and then the third audition date was the one for Eugene Opera, and they offered me the position to sing with them. And so at the same time, Mark said, would you like to do your master's at the University of Oregon at the same time as being a professional singer with the opera company? I said, sure. Um, so I took that opportunity and then asked them, so where is Eugene? <laughs> I know Oregon is the state between Washington and California, but I had no idea at the time. So anyway, um, I came out here and fell in love with this side of the country, like most people do when they come over here. And um, right around in 2009, uh, Ruth Dobson asked me if I would help her with um, the apprentice program for uh, the Astoria Music Festival. And that's how I got introduced to Astoria and was coming up in the summers every summer to help out and then uh, helped out for a year in 2016 uh, to help things keep going with the company and that kind of thing with the Astoria Music Festival and fell in love and said, honey, my husband, Vincent Centeno, let's stay. And we have stayed here since then. So in Eugene, you were performing with the Eugene Opera. Correct. And then you started a second group, and that kind of leads us to where we're heading now. So tell, tell me about that. Sure. So um, myself and several other members of the Eugene Opera Company um, were doing what we call compromario, or support roles in the opera. They typically will hire artists from Manhattan and other larger cities, more metropolitan locations, to come in and take the largest roles, um, but they would also hire the locals, as it were, to do uh, some of the other roles in the productions. And so uh, myself and a couple others were sitting in this room in a rehearsal saying, wow, look at all of this fantastic talent we have right here in Eugene and around. And we thought it would be really a great idea to keep us singing at other times. Um, it's important to say at this point, many of us that were in these compromarial roles are teaching, having full-time jobs. I was a student. And so we thought it would be a good idea to have opportunities opportunities for this group of people who were not wanting to get on the road to travel to other places to perform all the time. We felt it's going to be best for us to be working um, and singing as often as we'd like, but then also pursuing other things that are interesting to us. So that's how Cascadia uh, Chamber Opera got started. At the time, it was called Cascadia Concert Opera. Our plan was to do only concert opera, meaning just stand and sing, no staging, no uh, extra lighting, no costumes and those kinds of things, no big old props and set, uh, but then to tour works of opera. 
So the plan was at the time to just make it possible for the artists to not spend long rehearsal periods, but get together and sing. And so the first thing we did was a piece called Johnny Skeeky uh, by Puccini, and that we did in the following summer of 2009. So, so it was Cascadia uh, Concert Opera in Eugene. Right. And it's during the transition to Astoria that the name is changing to Cascadia Chamber Opera. Correct. What's the difference? Good question. So um, Cascadia Concert Opera, the main idea, the idea of concert opera is that you are, as we say, standing and delivering. So you might be holding your music in your hand. Um, you're probably going to wear a tuxedo and a fancy gown or something like that. And you might do what we call wear costumes that are suggestive of a character. Or you might have props in your hands to help the audience kind of follow the story. But it's really just walking on stage, sitting in a chair, or walking on stage and walking back off stage after your character says what they have to say. Um, that's concert opera. The reason we are switching to chamber opera is because now we have had the success of working with small instrumental ensembles as well. Um, as before, we were just doing it with piano. Now we're adding in small ensembles of instruments, or we might also do it with a small cast um, that doesn't involve chorus, or we might do some of the numbers with chorus. Chamber comes from the idea that it's in a smaller room or smaller group of performers. So it's a small enough group, so we're not a full-on opera company doing big, big, big works with big, big, big groups of people. It's just smaller basically is the idea. Well, I'm presuming the reason it is moving from Eugene to Astoria is because you and Vincent have moved from Eugene to Astoria. Who else is involved? So that's um, what's really fun about this is that um, when Vincent and I moved up here, our group has been able, especially the board members, because we work with artists all up and down the corridor, um, we've been able to kind of keep the business going thank goodness for virtual realities and all of the kinds of technology. So we can still communicate with each other. Our board president, for example, is down in Eugene, um, and his name is Bernie Robe. Our current treasurer is Sandy Neistat. He's also down in Eugene. Here in Astoria, we have Dulcie Taylor. She's on the board, and also Dr. Denise Reed on the board. And we're also, uh, we've got a couple new people that are very interested in joining the board, and Celia Davis is helping out as a volunteer. So um, we've got a good group of people in Astoria now helping us to build representation in this town, uh, which is our home base now. Um, also, our, uh, we're lucky to be one of the partners for the PAC. So we're involved with that group, too. So they help out, too. Well, there are people who are very passionate about opera, and there are people who say, opera? What's that? <laughs> so what is that? I heard you, heard you give kind of an interesting explanation of the history of opera. Can you tell us about that? Sure, sure. Opera um, really has been this thing that exists primarily for the entertainment of the court. Um, some of the earliest composers were hired by courts, uh, you know, kings and queens, to show their riches and to entertain themselves as well as to show their riches. That's why we have big old fancy uh, set pieces. The best singers would travel from one court to the other so that a king or a queen could say to anyone around, 
we can afford to do this huge, overwhelming spectacle. So a name that we might hear or recognize is Monteverdi. He was one of the earliest composers, um, one that whose name we'll recognize today. And he was definitely in um, uh, a place where he was able to sort of show off for the kings and queens. Um, and so that's why opera has come into today as being associated with being highfalutin and it's being associated with expenses and all of that. It's because of its its beginnings, how it started off. Um, and today, companies like mine, where um, we don't spend a lot of money, we want to make sure the artists are paid fairly. And if we're going to a venue, we want to make sure that the venue makes a little bit of money. Um, but today, it's reaching more and more people. Um, it's become the people people's thing. Uh, Mozart was one of the early composers uh, who would write for the people. So he worked at this place called the Burg Theater or the Burg Theater, which is sort of like a like you'd have the big city fancy place and then there's one for the folk who go and watch an opera and that'll be a comic opera, something more garish, more playful as opposed to something that's on the heavier side, which they would have called opera seria or serious opera. So that's this kind of flow. And so today we're lucky to have had the history of opera bring it to where it is today where just folks like me can hang out and enjoy it so but hey someone might say they're singing in a foreign language how do i know what's going on right um when i first watched my first opera um i was bored to tears by it i was like who cares um i couldn't understand the story and what i made uh i was lucky enough to get to go on stage i was in the eighth grade was lucky enough to go on stage my teacher took us to watch and um I was playing violin at the time. The teacher took us to watch what kinds of careers you can have if you're interested in the violin, which I was not. I was going to be a teacher at that point in my mind. Um, but she took us there to um, see what happens, what can you do if you're a violinist. And we were up in the balcony watching a dress rehearsal for my hometown, Opera Grand Rapids. Um, I was bored, and they were singing in French. Um, had no idea what was going on. I was up in the balcony running my mouth, talking a lot. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, because my teacher was in uh, new members of the orchestra and the conductor, they said, how about if your kids get to come on stage and see what it's like and be in this street scene, which I had no idea what that meant. Um, so we get to go on stage and lucky for me, um, it was at a point where we're supposed to just sit there and be still, create the backdrop while this other stuff is happening on stage. I was apparently the right height to be in a location right where the soprano was coming on stage. In this case, it was a mezzo-soprano. Turns out they were doing Carmen. We were supposed to face upstage to watch the bull rink. I happened to stand next to the mezzo-soprano who was singing Carmen just as she's about to get stabbed. Um, but here I am, and I was up close and personal. It didn't matter anymore what she was singing about. It didn't matter at all what the story was, because I was able to hear her see this incredible makeup and costume and hear this incredible human feat of a voice that just sailed out. And I mean, today I still get all goosey because of how that experience changed everything for me. So the story suddenly mattered. <laughs> um, then I was curious about who is this woman? Um, what's her story, this character? Um, so the language didn't matter to me at the time. It did spark in me though that experience the desire to learn more opera does 
if it's a foreign language opera, it will require you to know the story. But keep in mind, in the time that it was written, that was kind of a major um, entertainment Mm -hmm. then. And so people did know a lot of these stories or stories like them. Carmen is based on a famous novel by a guy named Mayarme or Mayam, um, who wrote about infidelity and this whole thing. It was a known story. Um, it's kind of like today, you know, any of the stories that are going on in the news, you get to watch a television show, you know, that is now recreating. And those shows become really important to us. Same thing was true for these composers, especially European composers, whose stories people kind of knew. They would follow the novels, they would understand the stories, or their political stories in their what we would call a newspaper today, that information was kind of known to the people for whom these operas were written. Um, so when we move forward to where we are today, we're lucky that composers that are alive today are now writing stories that we can relate to. Um, a composer that I can think of whose name might ring a bell, um, his name's Jake Heggie, has written a famous opera now by this point, and I think it premiered in the early 2000s, I can't remember exactly, but Dead Man Walking, um, we know that movie very well, starring Susan Sarandon and uh, Sean Penn, uh, and the woman whose story that this comes from, Sister Helen Prejean, it's a fantastic novel about her experience. So now it's a story we recognize, it's in English, Americans have begun have begun to write more and more operas um, about stories that will resonate with us here in this continent. I won't even just say this country, but in this continent, um, lots of Spanish language operas as well. Things that we can relate to, stories that we're now able to say, "Oh, this is something that I can, ref- you know, I can reflect on. I can be moved by because it's of my time." So, same thing was true in Verdi's day, in Mozart's day, in Wagner's day. Same thing. And I take it what you're recommending is that for any opera someone is going to see, that they familiarize themselves with the story ahead of time. And, of course, the information is available out there on the Internet or That's right. in the library. That's right. Absolutely. Well, here you're going to be performing in English largely. Yes. So part of that that issue will be dealt with. But still, <laughs> is it a good idea to know the story before we see the operas? So it depends on your interest. Um, some, okay, I think there are two parts to this answer. So if you're going to see a piece that's in a foreign language, in a language that's not familiar to you, absolutely. Take a couple of minutes and look up the story. That's why most opera programs, when you go, you'll see a story, then they'll show you the synopsis. Because the reality is um, you might not quite follow everything that's happening, um, especially if it's your first time. Um, Then So that's one side of it. Uh, If it's an opera in English, um, and because singing requires a very specific technique and singing over an orchestra and sustaining tones means sometimes it's going to be hard to hear exactly what's being said, even if it's in your own tongue. Um, So you'll still want to have a little bit of a sense of the story so that you can follow along. Um, That's why still today, even if I, uh, when Cascadia is performing, if we're doing a piece, even in English, we will still make an effort to put up super titles so that you can still follow what's being said. Because the process of singing, in order to form those tones, those notes, means that some words are pronounced 
exactly necessarily differently yes and then just this anytime i if i sustain if i say hello you might be saying wait what is she saying right right but it'll help if you have a sense of the story so so the opera company here is not is is going the home will be the pack correct performing arts center but you're not going to be rooted there i understand Correct. So we started off um, with a kind of a rather overwhelming altruistic set of ideals. <laughs> um, we uh, want artists to be singing. Mm-hmm. We also want unusual um, locations to be performing in. We absolutely prefer the smaller venue so that people can have more up close and personal um, access to the art form just like myself that soprano. Exactly. Oh, by the way you, mm-hmm. the uh, you sang soprano i believe correct yes <laughs> uh-huh yep that was my thing um and then also the i think probably the third part of it is to travel around to all kinds of venues so that all kinds of people have access. So we also go to senior citizen facilities. We go, we perform. If someone wants to have us come into a small home and help them with a concert just because they want to have a concert in their home, we like to travel. So, um, and we also want to hire artists, not just in Eugene, not just in Portland, but artists all up and down the I-5 corridor. We've actually had singers join us from California and from Washington as well to perform with us. It's an opportunity uh, to, to perform. Exactly, exactly. And so those are the main reasons that we exist. So allowing ourselves to travel is really important. Um, but we always need a place to rehearse, um, uh, depending on the show. For example, last year when we did Tango of the White Gardenia, we really really needed a lot of rehearsal time and rehearsal space because there were dancers, there were chorus, there were uh, all of these parts to the picture. Um, So we required two rehearsal spaces in Eugene and also in Lincoln City. Um, So it just depends on what our production is going to be. In this case, this year, we're able to focus everything at the PAC because we're partners for the PAC, and it's a shorter rehearsal period, so we don't have to disturb other artists that are also rehearsing at the PAC. And you'll be performing normally either with uh, piano, like that beautiful grand at the PAC, or if you're on the road, um, maybe with a keyboard. Correct. Or with a chamber group. Correct. All of that is absolutely correct. Sounds good. Uh Um, What about... When when is when is all this getting rolling? What's your timetable for getting things moving? Okay, um, normally we will do what we call our main stage or our main production right around September, late September and October, and that'll include traveling um, to three or four places. Um, and traveling by by that I mean going to theaters and producing it, whatever production it is that we're doing whichever version of that production we're doing. So, for example, this year, we're going to be doing HMS Pinafore by Gilbert and Sullivan, a wonderful, fun, light piece. And we'll do it in different versions. We will do a concertized version, um, which will involve some movement and some grander aspects, but it will be with piano this year. Um, And we will move from Astoria at the PAC. We will also do it in Bend at uh, the... um, I can't think of the name of the facility there, but in Bend, and then also we'll do it in Lincoln City. 
These are three towns that we typically will perform in every year and have been doing that for the past several years. Um, we'll also do what we're calling a, a celebration of Gilbert and Sullivan in Eugene, our hometown, and other locations so that our artists still are getting that exposure in these towns and so that people can hear these groups, hear the singers, as well as getting to our senior citizen facilities, which we always want to continue to do in our years uh, of existence, because that's just important to us. Senior facilities, and we're also going to do it at um, um, one of the churches in Salem. Mm -hmm. um, and they just want us to come and give them a bunch of Gilbert and Sullivan. So that's going to be our celebration. It won't be HMS Pinafore. It'll just be a collection of things. That's a fun place to start. Yeah, we think so. Look, looking forward, um, mm -hmm. what kind of season do you envision? How many shows in a season and so on? <laughs> uh, that's tricky because we have a tendency, like I said, to just try to meet every need. So any given year, we might do lots of uh, productions or performances throughout the year. Mm -hmm. um, what we try to make sure we always have is that performance that's happening in late September, October. That's what Gilbert and Sullivan is going to be for us this year. We're also, for instance, going to be doing, um, bringing in some artists on June 1st of this year at the PAC to do Ipagliacci, um, which is a really wonderful production. Um, and that's going to be at 3 o'clock on June 1st at the PAC here in Astoria, bringing in artists who have sung with Cascadia, uh, uh, well, concert opera slash chamber <laughs> right. opera. They've performed with us in both guises. and um, But they're Ping and Wolf, and they're going to come and do a production on our behalf here. We'll also do a bunch of other things through next January and February, continuing to perform with this idea of celebration of Gilbert and Sullivan. So it's, in other years, we've done just the one opera, at one time in the year. So it just depends on what, what we're needed for. <laughs> now, for the event that's coming up June 1st, how, mm -hmm. how would somebody get tickets for that? So tickets will be available through brown paper tickets beginning May 15th. And then also we will have them available at the box office at the pack, mm -hmm. And they're um, going to be available there too. Do you anticipate uh, either in concert form or uh, doing any musical theater kinds of pieces once in a while? Hmm. So we've always had this um, question for ourselves. We always want to perform opera or operetta. Um, that's just been a decision because, we, like I said, we're always trying to do so many things, this little company. Right. So we decided we need to stick with opera and operetta, lighter themes. That said, we have certainly done concerts where our artists have just done a, something of a gala where they just keep singing. So musicals will show up at that without a hitch. We'll do numbers from musicals. Have we ever done an outright musical? No. We probably will not do a, just a musical. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't mean just a musical in a diminutive way. I'm referring to focusing only on a musical. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So your your mission includes uh, performance, uh, giving opportunity to perform for new artists, uh, education, mm -hmm. uh outreach taking things out in the community mm -hmm. so you've got a pretty full plate mm -hmm. opera is very famous for making people very rich and bringing in lots of money right <laughs> so you, you don't need any help with this <laughs> oh 
Roger, you're funny. Um, no, opera um, definitely requires, uh, I, I joke and say it takes a village. Um, so many people are so necessary. And so um, I mentioned, for example, Celia Davis, who has graciously agreed to help out with housing artists um, during our season at any given moment because everyone's traveling, we'll need help housing them. Um, and what I mean by housing, we ask for people to make their homes available to keep artists either overnight or over several nights because we can't afford to put folks up in hotels. That's just too expensive. So we ask people to be gracious and let their homes be available. Um, the other things, we always need board members. Um, as a nonprofit, it's important for us to have oversight and to have input from the folks in the community that we're trying to serve. Um, it's very easy for me to put my opera hat on and get too focused on just what the opera is going to be and right. have no other thought about all the other parts of my job um, and all the other parts of opera. So we're always looking for folks to be on our board. We want, if you're a lawyer, that means you can help us not be goofy with making mistakes on things. You are not allowed to be our lawyer let me be clear on that. But you are allowed to help us interpret things when we're getting contracts from, um, you know, a company that we're going to go and use their facility and they're going to tell us, well, this is our contract. This is what you can agree to and that kind of thing. You can help those things. If you're an accountant, you can help us keep track of the money. If you're a person who just enjoys organizing things, maybe you're interested in being one of our officers. So we're grateful for anybody that wants to be on our board to help us even come up with great ideas about what to do. Um, we're also um, currently looking for uh, someone to assist in uh, pursuit of other grants and that kind of thing. We're a nonprofit and we rely heavily on granted money, whether it's from individuals or foundations. Um, and then, you know, there's always the ability to just send us some money <laughs> if you want to. <laughs> right. Well, it's great. it's great to have people with skills on your board. They help guide things. That's and, right. Yeah, yeah to take care of all the different things that come up. Yes. And uh, you will have a way, I'm sure, in the future for people to send you that money, or does one exist now? One exists, absolutely. There are a couple of things. Number one, you can go to our website, which... God bless Bob Goldberg. He is updating that for us even as we speak. Um, but uh, you can go to our website and there is a donate button right there. It goes through uh, PayPal and it's right there. Quickly donate there. Um, and then you can also send us a check at our P.O. box. And that's in Eugene currently because our treasurer lives there. So it's P.O. box 11424, Eugene, Oregon, 97440. And okay. just list Cascadia Chamber Opera. And the website address? Mm -hmm. org. That's <laughs> a little harder to change. Yeah. <laughs> it's harder to change the website address. Well, I heard you mention one other thing that sounds like fun. Uh, you're, you're, you're doing so many other things, I'm not sure how you would find time for this, but you... You mentioned the idea of flash mobs. Yes. Tell me about that. Yeah. Um, so what we're going to do this year, for example, because we're doing the production um, of the HMS Pinafore, right around the same time we're doing Brew Cup in our lovely town of Astoria, we're going to do flash mob at Brew Cup. The artists are going to show up and sing and distract people from their enjoyment of their beer and drink one along with everybody else and then run away and get back to the theater and go sing. 
Oh, I hope that happens a lot. <laughs> yeah, I do too. We have all these ideas about pulling those things together. Um, one of my favorite persons in this town, Deke Guidi, whom I'm sure everybody knows, uh, he and I keep talking about ways that we're going to show up at things and just start singing to scare people. So <laughs> we're looking for that opportunity. Well, we mentioned board members and so on. If somebody was interested and wanted to get in contact, would they do that through the website or how did they, yeah. they do that? Yeah, you can send an email to me directly. Okay. Pretty and easy. My email address address is bjones at Cascadia Concert Opera dot org. All right. And I will try to list those on our website so people can look back and find them. Great. Well, I wish you nothing but great success. Thank with you, Roger. The, uh, Cascadia Chamber Opera. Thank you. Marinus <laughs> Jones Centeno. You've been listening to The Human Beat. I'm Roger Rocket. Thanks for listening.